0: You're listening to audio from Mercy's Door Community Church in Muscoota, Illinois. If you'd like to get more information about Mercy's Door, we'd love for you to connect with us on Facebook or check us out at mercysdoor.org. We've been left to right through John for, um, well, the whole book so far, right? And uh, we find ourselves in Chapter 10 uh, this morning as a continuation of the interaction that we looked at last week. Um, So last week we were looking at Jesus' miracle where he heals this man born blind, and at the end of the miracle he ends up in this uh, kind of back and forth with the Jews and the Pharisees where he's kind of talking to the man that he's just healed, and he presents himself to the guy um, as the son of man and calls him to faith, and the man believes, and Jesus kind of talks to him about what he's there to do. And uh, he says to them in verse 39 that it's for judgment that he came into the world that those who do not see may see and that those who do see may become blind. And the Pharisees who are near him ask the question at the end of the last week's passage that we're kind of doubling over on this week. uh, They say to him, so are are we also blind? Kind of picking up that he's talking about them. Um, And then uh, he says, if you were blind, you wouldn't have guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. And so still speaking to the same audience, our, our passage picks up this morning where Jesus kind of continues his teaching. So just want to make sure that we understand this morning uh, that Jesus isn't preaching to the open air here, that he's still talking to these folks uh, that he's just told are, are, are not blind, but in fact claim to see. And in so making that claim, uh, the guilt remains upon them. I also want to make sure that we set up this morning, that we remember that these are the people who cast this blind man out of the synagogue um, on account of his faith in Christ, okay? And so um, the, some of the stuff that he's going to talk about this morning are specifically geared toward these religious elite, these, these, these religious leaders um, who are rejecting Christ, and he's got some things to say to them this morning. But apart from what he has to say to them this morning, I want us to be listening this morning for what he has to say about himself, okay? This is the most important part of our message this morning will be what Jesus has to say to us about himself. So let's jump into it. What we're going to find this morning is that Jesus makes the claim to be the good shepherd, and in making the claim, he contrasts himself against five different people, or five different things. He contrasts himself against the thief, the robber, the hired hand, the stranger, and the gatekeeper. If you're note takers, maybe you want to write it down, that Jesus is contrasting himself as the good shepherd against the thief and robber, the hired hand, the stranger, and the gatekeeper. And my hope this morning is that as we look at Jesus's contrast against himself as the good shepherd and these five folks, that we will come more intimately to understand what it means to be sheep of Jesus, and that we might navigate some of the real challenges of sitting under the leadership and in relationship with folks who maybe fit in some of these other descriptions, okay? Let's go verse by verse. Jesus says, chapter 10, verse 1, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the stranger. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. So first, what Jesus does here in chapter 10, verse 1 on down through verse 5 is he introduces us to the idea of a sheepfold. Now, he was speaking to a context that wouldn't have needed any explanation on this, but I don't spend any time with sheep and neither do you, most likely, so I want to spend a little bit of time setting up the, the imagery that he's using, okay? so. In a sheepfold in the ancient Near East, what you would have is you would have lots of different shepherds who had responsibility over their flocks. These are not small flocks. We're talking about flocks of, in many cases, many thousands of sheep. And they would be led to pasture in some shared spaces where you'd have intermingling of the sheep, all grazing in the same parts. And then in the evenings, when it was time to lead them away from pasture and into a place to rest, Uh, what these shepherds would do is they would construct what's called a a sheepfold. And so they would build using stones and thorny bushes, these big enclosures, and lead all of these flocks into this enclosure. And there would just be one narrow gate to get in and out of it. And then there would be a gatekeeper, an under-shepherd, who would man that, that gate that the sheep would move in and out from, okay? And so again, just want you to picture a really large enclosure called a sheepfold holding lots of different flocks of sheep that are under the care of lots of different shepherds and a hired hand a, a gatekeeper so to speak who stands at the door and he lets into the sheepfold only the shepherds that have authority and ownership over these flocks okay so setting that up i want you guys to kind of hear it again truly i say to you he who doesn't enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Okay, so this would actually happen, right? So if you're burrowing away at the stone enclosure or pulling away some thorns or trying to climb over the wall in order that you might steal sheep, in order that you might take what is not yours, in order that you might profit off of what doesn't belong to you, you are a thief and a robber. He says, if they're coming, if they're not coming in through the door, they don't belong in the sheepfold, and the sheep don't belong to them. It's just a very direct statement. Remember who he's talking to, right? He's talking about, he's talking to a religious elite who believe that they had authority over the people of God. Right? And so they, are putting, they put themselves on the judgment seat last week and they're trying to determine for themselves, should this guy be trusted or not? And Jesus is saying that you're, you've put yourself in a place that you don't belong. You're, you're among the sheep, but you got there by climbing over the wall that you haven't come in through the door because I'm the door, he's going to say, we're going to get there. he who enters by the door, in contrast to these folks who are thieves and robbers and leap over the wall, well that one is the shepherd. He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep, verse 2. Verse 3, to him the gatekeeper opens. So the gatekeeper would look for merely the shepherds of the sheep. You had to own sheep in order to come into the sheepfold. And so the gatekeeper was there to do that for you. So he would let you in, and then the sheep would hear the voice of the shepherd, and he would call his own sheep by name and lead them out. So again, within the sheepfold, intermingling of a lot of different flocks, and then the shepherd would come in, and in the ancient world, they had these little calls that they would use, each one with a unique sound, and whether it was like or whether they were using some object or whatever, their call was trained to the ears of their sheep, and suddenly what looked like one big flock would separate into individual flocks, and only the sheep that belonged to that shepherd who knew that shepherd's voice would come to him. And he would call them by name, and one by one, he would lead these sheep out from the sheepfold and leave the other sheep behind because they were not his sheep. And then he would take those that belonged to him and lead them out. It says that when he has brought out all of his own he then goes before them, walking ahead of the sheep, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And this figure of speech, Jesus used with them, and they did not understand what he was saying to them. How could they? They did not understand what he was saying to them, as he is saying to them, only my sheep hear my voice. And he's speaking to them, And they're like, I don't know you. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you mean. Jesus, within the parable that he is speaking to them, is proving to them what the parable proves, that the sheep hear my voice, and the ones who are not my sheep do not hear my voice. But a stranger they will not follow. They flee from him, for they don't know the voice of the stranger. So, so far in this passage, Jesus has introduced us to the thief and the gatekeeper and the stranger, contrasted against the shepherd, right? And as I was preparing the message this morning, you know, one of the things that I'm learning to do is to go to the Lord and to ask him as I'm reading this, like, what is food is the question that I'm asking, like, what here is food? Because when you open the words, these words that are from the shepherd, right, like, Jesus said to Peter, "To if you love him, to feed the sheep." Right. So ask him, like, what is food here? And as I was talking to him about that, I kind of was working through what it actually feels like as a sheep to be underneath the authority or the care or in relationship with folks who wear these other titles, but who are not shepherds. Right. Like you guys have all in some way, some some form or fashion, whether within your own family or whether at work, or whether at the, at the governmental level, you have all been under the leadership of folks at some point in your lives, maybe right now, who are not shepherds in the way that Jesus describes here, but instead they are thieves, hired hands, strangers, gatekeepers. See, here's the thing, here's the difference between the shepherd and the stranger. Let's suppose that a stranger got past the gatekeeper, you know, wore the hat of a shepherd and looked like a shepherd, and got in there. What he lacks, even once he's in the sheepfold, is the ability to call the sheep. He doesn't know the call, and they don't know his voice, and he's a stranger to them, and they're strange to him. And this was convictional to me. You know, we're gonna talk a little bit this morning about the role of an under shepherd, and, and I, as one of your pastors, Pastor Brett, Pastor Mike, Pastor Dude, we're under shepherds, and Jesus is gonna talk a little bit about the role of under shepherds this morning. But what I know is that you can't be a shepherd and you can't even be an under-shepherd if the sheep are strangers and if you are a stranger to the sheep. That ultimately, what do I have to say to the sheep if I don't even know their names, right? And ultimately, well, how can they hear from me if I'm a stranger, if I, if I, don't, have, if I don't have any any relational capital built with the people that I'm talking to, right? And so Jesus has really been impressing on me, even as a preacher, that there's a significant difference between preaching to the flock that has been entrusted to your care as an under-shepherd and preaching to the open air, street preaching, right? Like that we're talking about speaking to people that we are to know intimately. So if you feel like this summer, that there has been, you know, I think it was maybe a month ago now that in, in the middle of a sermon or beginning of a sermon, I, I kind of gave you guys my calendar and like told you how to get a hold of me and when I'm available and all this. It's that I truly desire to know you. Like that if I don't know you, if we're not on a face-to-face kind of first name basis yet, that I am truly inhibited in what I'm called to do to really know the sheep, to not be a stranger to them and for the sheep to know me as one of their under shepherds because ultimately extending the care of God to you in relationship with one another and this is the same with GC, right? Like when you guys get together and you extend the hand of God to one another in care, you're only going to be able to do that insofar as you really know one another which is why we're so hardcore at Mercy's Door about gospel community that you would really be known by the folks that you're walking with. Well, the sheep can't respond to the stranger and they don't respond to the stranger. The stranger cannot call uh, the sheep if he is a stranger because they will flee from his voice. The thief seeks only to harm them. I've been spending a lot of time with a a good friend of mine. whose name is John and he's been walking with the Lord for 40 years and he has been uh, really kind to me in in being a young shepherd uh, to walk with me and to be a shepherd of shepherds, so to speak, and to help me to understand uh, what it means to walk with Jesus in shepherding a church, and he said to me over lunch maybe two months ago um, that there is a key difference between a shepherd and a rancher. This is like a in my mind a ton, and now he's like teaching it to everybody. I got to hear it over over uh, five guys first. Um, but in it, he was saying, you know, a shepherd and a rancher. Look exactly the same up until they lead the calf to slaughter. That they will, uh, that and that they don't name their calves or their cows. Is what he says. You know what you do is you spend time with them you're going to lead them to pasture, you're going to get them good and fat, you want to protect them from the predators, you want to do all of that thing, but the whole point for the rancher is that he can get a good price for them at market at the end of the day, that they would be good and fat at the day that he leads them to their slaughter, right? Like this is the, this is both the thief and the hired hand, that there are people in your life who claim to be, have authority over you, who claim to have relationship with you, who want to lead you, but their whole their whole motive, their inner drive is not so much that they can see you delighting in the chief shepherd, but so that they themselves in their enterprise can get a good price for you at the end of the day. Now, whether or not that is relational, let's, let's take this home, right? Like there are people even who are in, in, in spousal relationships where both of y'all are rangers are ranchers rather for one another, right? Where you're you're putting in a good deposit in one another's lives, trying to, so that you can ultimately make a claim to the other person that has them owe you in some way. It's a scorekeeping engagement where ultimately I can say to my wife, look at how I've loved you. I think you owe me this. Look at how I've served you. Don't you owe me service in return? Ultimately, all of my activity to beautify the sheep is ultimately in order that that beauty can be returned to me, what I can get out of it, right? This is entirely different from a shepherd. This is ranching. Relationally, we see it all the time. We also see it in our places of business, right? Like you will find that your boss, right? He would love to lead you, to get the best out of you, to train you in order that your skills could be useful to him and to his department, right? In order that even even good things like where you're grateful because it looks so similar to shepherding up until the point of slaughter, right? But ultimately, slaughter sometimes looks like a promotion, right? It doesn't always look like you're getting cut because, you know, COVID came through and hurt the economy, and, you know, thanks but no thanks, and you're out of here kind of thing. Sometimes it looks like, man, we, this, this looks good. We're going to promote you in order that you can take more responsibility off of me. You know, I was talking to a friend. He says to me, when I was pl- first planting a church, I would show up early every Sunday morning to set up chairs, and I would leave, and I would stay late and break down the chairs, but I wasn't doing it because I actually had this humble heart to serve the church and that I, that I was got to be a part of planting. There were folks who I wanted to be serving in this way who weren't, and my hope was that if they saw the pastor doing it, that they'd be like, man, if he can do it, I can do it. And, they, and that somehow by leading by example, they'd start setting up and breaking down the chairs. And everywhere else, people will tell you that was good leadership. Lead by example do what it is that you want other people to see and emulate doing. But here's the thing, Jesus cares tremendously here about the motive of a man. And in this case, the brother was saying to me, ultimately, I wanted to appear humble in service to the flock in order that they would do what I wanted them to do in order that I wouldn't have to do it. And ultimately, I was serving me by looking like I was serving them. Now, this takes a lot of I think, introspection to kind of evaluate the motives that you with what you're doing. But here's the thing. Jesus sees it at every point. He is aware of us and the reasons why we do the things we do. And ultimately, am I trying to get a good price for you at market? Am I trying to get a good return on investment in the relationship that I have with you? Or do I just love you and know you by name? Ultimately, would I lay down my life for you is what Jesus says the good shepherd does. let's see him continue to talk about these folks jesus again says to them in verse 7 because they don't understand what he's saying and so he this is a different parable don't think of this as a continuation of what he just said now he's going a different route within the same imagery he says to them again truly truly i say to you i'm the door of the sheep a minute ago he was the shepherd all who came before me are thieves and robbers but the sheep did not listen to them i am the door if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and destroy and kill. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So here in verse 7 through 10, he claims to be the door itself. So he's gone from shepherd to door. He's moving seamlessly back and forth in his example here. Well, we already talked about the sheepfold and the pen, right? And we've said that there is, there's one access point. Well, when you have the big, the big kind of shared sheepfold out in the wild for all of those who have their flocks out to pasture and need to get them into safety, there's a hired hand, a gatekeeper, and Jesus talked about that. When you had a private sheepfold, this was your personal farm, right? you, the shepherd, would sleep with the sheep very regularly, and you yourself would be the door you would create an opening and the shepherd himself would set up his bed for the night in the entryway of his personal sheepfold. So anything that wanted to get in had to go through him. And here Jesus is taking, he's likening himself to this type of shepherd where he himself is the door that to enter the sheepfold, you must go through him. And to get out to pasture, to find your, your food and your water, to, to, to have your delight, you've got to go through him. He himself is the door. And he says in verse 9, he's not just the door, but that anyone who enters through him will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. But that, going back to the original parable, those who go in and out by any other way is a thief and a robber set out only to kill and destroy. You see, Guys, the, the world, not just the world, honestly, you, your brain, me, and my mouth that just does things wants to tell us all kinds of things about the way to life and life abundant. We, we don't want to have to go through the one way. Jesus says that the gate is narrow. Jesus says that he alone is the way and the truth and the life That it's only through him that we can come to the Father. Like he makes this exclusive claim to be himself the door. And we want what's on the other side of the door. We want to be saved from the things that want to devour us. We want to be safe. We want to find shelter. We want to, have, we want to have care and abundance and food and water and nourishment. We want to drink to our heart's delight. Like, we want health. We want prosperity. We want all of these things, right? We just don't want to go through the gate to get it. Not really, we will accept almost any other way and with that we'll start promising to ourselves and others will be promising to us all of the different ways that you can access these things and Jesus says no all of these ways lead only to death this is it's stealing it's death it's it, it's destruction but he says that he came that we may have life and have it abundantly he moves back to the shepherd analogy in verse 11 he says i'm the good shepherd The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand. He cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life. For the sheep. You see, the hired hand, Jesus says, cares nothing for the sheep. The hired hand cares nothing for the sheep. This is the rancher analogy again, right? Like my son, he was recently hired at the equestrian center here in town. I get to serve with him on some occasions. And so this analogy is getting some visual life for me, right? there are 21 horses in these stables, and each day hired hands come in, and they turn the stables, they turn the horses out to pasture that they might eat, they make sure that their, that their hay uh, uh, repositories are are stocked, and then they go behind them into the stalls, and they ensure that the gates are sturdy, that there's, that the, that the barn is in and good keeping, and they uh, clean out the stars, and they top off the food, and they give them medicine, and they top off the water, and it's great. Like, the hired hand is doing good work. What I know is that Jack won't die for the horses. Like, he's there for a wage, and if they stop paying him, he wouldn't show. It's not that in being a hired hand that there's not a role to play in the economy of God. What I'm saying is that ultimately he's claiming that there's only one who would die for the sheep and that there's a key difference between the one who would die for the sheep and the one who is there to earn a wage off of the sheep nonetheless. As I get to know the owner of this equestrian center, she owns a few horses uh, in the stables, and then the rest of them are entrusted to her care, and people pay her to board those horses. And uh, what's interesting about her, as opposed to the hired hands, is when she looks out at the horses, whether they're in the stable or whether they're out in the field, she notices things about them that I will probably never notice. If they are walking just a little bit different, she notes that. And in noting it, maybe it's nothing by, her, by itself, she will then contrast it to how much did they eat last night. She'll notice if the quantity of poop in the stall is different from the normal quantity of poop in the stall. Like, she doesn't look away from the dirty parts of the job and delight in the fun parts of the job. The care of the horses is her primary ethic, and she notices things that the hired hands would not notice. Well, this is our our good shepherd, where he knows the sheep by name. He calls them by name. He knows them. He's not a stranger to them. He says, I know them, and he knows you. If you are his sheep, he knows you, and he notices you. When something is wrong, when, when, you, when, when you depart from the things that give you life and life abundantly, and you get sick because you're looking to things that cannot give you what it is that you need, he sees it, and he notices it, and he pursues you. You know, in, a, in another passage, he's going to claim in being the good shepherd that he will leave the 99 to go and get the one, like, when you wander off, when not just when danger comes your way, but when you depart from the herd, from the flock, and you go and you put yourself in danger and you wander off, he will go and get you. In Ezekiel 34, the Lord uses this imagery to rebuke his nation Israel, and he's talking to them, and, he, and he's accusing the leaders of the church. He says to them that what you'll do is you will go and slaughter the good sheep in order that you can get their fleece, in order that you can wear them, but those who are wounded, you're not binding their wounds. Those who wander off, you're letting them go. And so he says, I'm going to send my King David, and he is going to be a good shepherd who is going to bind the wounds of of the hurting, and he is going uh, to tend to the ones who wander off, and he's not going to merely look to those who are the fattest and the most beautiful and look to how he can get his gain from them. This is not a new theme at all, and it's certainly not new words that these people, for these people to hear. Jesus says, I'm the, I'm the good shepherd and that the hired hand cares nothing, but that I know my own and they know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep, verse 16, that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd, So sticking with the sheepfold imagery, Jesus says, I've got sheep in here, and he's talking to his original people, the the Jews, the Israelites. I've got people here, and I've got people who are not of this fold. Here he's talking about you, Evan. Here he's talking about the Gentiles. He says, I've got others outside this fold. I've got to go get them, he says, and then he says, and they will hear my voice. Note the order because he does this so often in this book that we we want to let him build a case for the truth claims that he's making. He says he has, present tense, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them. So he's going to go and get them, which means that they have not yet seen him. And when he brings them, they will listen to his voice. So somehow they're his before he calls them. He knows who his sheep is, and when he goes to get them, because they're his, they do respond to his voice. And again, remember who his audience is here. He's speaking to people who cannot hear his voice. And this is where I just think that it's room for us to rest a little bit as sheep, Right? Because for him to be the good shepherd, we have to kind of acknowledge that makes us sheep. He keeps calling us sheep, right? But the fact that when he speaks, that you hear his voice, that when he goes, that you follow him, and that you can detect when other voices are trying to lead you astray, that you can detect that this isn't the voice of my shepherd. This is something different. This, this feels like chains, This feels like a snare. I've I've been there before, before my shepherd called me out of it. I know what happens when I go there. That was all him. And one of our roles as under-shepherds of this church, and you guys gotta hold me to it, you gotta hold your other shepherds to it, is ultimately we are we are we are gatekeepers, we are under-shepherds, like we're not like being cute when we say that Jesus is the lead shepherd of this church. Like we mean it. Ultimately, my goal is as an under-shepherd, as a gatekeeper essentially, is when somebody comes to the door and wants to spend time with the sheep and wants to come in, are like, are you the shepherd? Is the first part. Like, we wanna stand in between the flock and those who would come in and start selling them things that are, that are ultimately the anti-message of their shepherd. We're under-shepherds and our role ultimately is just to point to him. See, because he says he's going to die for you, that, that, that the good shepherd dies for the sheep. And we will, as shepherds and even as just Christians for one another, will die for one another in some sense. Jesus calls us to die to ourselves, to die to the flesh, to die to preference ultimately, and to live to Christ for one another, right? So in serving one another sacrificially in the one sense, right, we die for one another. But I'm not going to literally die for you. And even if I did, because we've got like soldiers in this room, I've got folks who will literally die for you in this room. They won't die for your sin. They won't die in a way that, has, that makes eternal payment for you. They might die in a way that gives you another day of protection from somebody who wants to do you harm. I know that we have some very brave men and women in this church who will love very sacrificially, but what they won't do, what they can't do, is what the good good shepherd does, where he says that those who enter through him will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture, that he lays down his life for them. And there's maybe an illustration here that I need us to see. if we don't really get a look at the danger that was before us when Jesus laid down his life for us, we will mistake what exactly he was doing in laying down his life for us. I think some of us imagine a Jesus who kind of cuts himself open and says, like, look how much I love you in some like meaningless sentimental way, or like he throws himself off a cliff and shouts out like, look how much I love you, like some display like some, like, almost manipulative display of, like, man, he would die for me. Frank would die for me. Thanks, man. Jesus didn't die for us in some, like, theoretical sense that, like, of just some display of his love. He talks about the shepherd who will lay down his life for the sheep the day that the wolf comes for him, that there was a, a real threat, a real darkness, a real present danger against the sheep, it being sin and their enemy who prowls along like a roaring lion, Satan, and that he stepped in for you and let it kill him in order that it would spare you you were in actual, real and present danger in light of your actual sin and the sins of the world and the sins of Adam in the garden that you inherited by being a human who didn't perfectly reflect the image of God which you were created to do. You stood to answer for that and your answer for that was going to be death, eternal death, separation from God. You cannot make payment for your sin. You can't. And if you face that real and present danger, it means destruction. And it's for that reason that Jesus stood between you and that wolf and laid down his life for the sheep. And of these sheep that were not of this fold, he went and he got us, amen, from a little village in Nazareth to a little village in Illinois. I mean, come on, how far will he go to get his sheep? It's an unspeakable miracle that his salvation has reached your ears. And for this reason, the Father loves me, he says, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I receive from my Father. See, Jesus didn't just die for you, and when he died for you, he took the real and present danger that was against you with him into death, but when he resurrected, he didn't resurrect it with him. He died, and he took hold of your sin and your death, and he brought it into the grave with him, and then he came up, him alone, victorious over sin and death for you, and only he has the authority to do that. So the folks in your life who are claiming like, just to love you so sacrificially and let's look at all that I'll do for you, look at all that I sacrifice for you, look, at all, look for all that I, I, I die for for you, well, the question is, is like, well, all right, can you resurrect? Can you come back to life? Because death isn't all that useful to me. But life and life abundantly, well, that's what we're after, aren't we? The thing is, I know that this morning I'm not speaking in theory for any of you, but for most of you, you can see it right now that we're not talking in theory. You've got real folks in your life who you're looking to for care, for provision, for shepherding, for love. Adoration, security, meaning, significance. And they have been thieves, just trying to get something out of you, something from you, something for themselves. They're after their own comfort. They have been hired hands who, in right up to the point of slaughter, look like a shepherd. My kids, to get real honest here, they, um, for like the last like three Father's Days in a row, the older ones who can think for themselves, write in their cards to me, um, acknowledging me as their provider. And so they'll say to me, Dad, we see how hard you work and how you provide for us. And we're just so grateful to you. Happy Father's Day. And I wouldn't mind it so much in one card, even two. Three cards in a row, and they have learned to associate the love of their father with all that he does to provide for them or the hard work that he does. And so desiring this last year to see in a Father's Day card, not just, oh, look at how my dad works so hard for us, but dad, look how you play with us. Look how you see us, how you care for us, how you listen to us. And absolutely no shame on my kids and no shame on me. Thank you, Jesus. Just going to my father and saying, in what ways am I a hired hand in my own home where I'm doing all the things that look like what a shepherd does but ultimately, I'm trying to get results from my home or results from my kids or whatever, but, but, but I'm not actually entering in and knowing them by name and, and loving them and willing to lay down my own life for them. And if I'll do it to them, I'll definitely do it to you, <laughs> right? And so will you. And so while I could stand up here this morning and preach against all of those outside of you, who would take on these different identities and bring harm to you. Ultimately, I'm preaching to you, too, that maybe the person who is the thief and the hired hand and the stranger is you. It's you who's caused the most harm to yourself and to those entrusted to your care. Well, where do you go if it's you? To the good shepherd. Where do you go if it's you? To the good shepherd. Because he took upon himself all of your sin, all of your failure, all that he called you to, and he fulfilled it perfectly in his life. And for all that you failed to do and all that you did wrong, he took it into the grave with him when he died. And when he resurrected into new life, he offered that new life to you freely in order that when you stand before him, you don't hear the record of your deeds, church. You hear the record of his deeds on your behalf. It's for this reason that the Father loves him. It's for this reason that the Father loves you if you are found in him, that when the Father looks at you, he sees the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so the people are divided when Jesus says this. And they're like, man, he's a demon. Why should we listen to him? And they're like, well, he kind of healed the blind. Maybe we should listen to him. And they're still debating. And they're debating because they think they have to decide who he is. But Jesus is who he is without their agreement and without their help. And ultimately it comes down to are you in the fold or not? So my takeaway for you this morning in Conclusion Church is that your shepherds, your leaders, at every level, the leaders in your home, the leader that you were meant to be, they will look like all kinds of different things. So Jesus was careful to describe them all, the thief and the hired hand, the stranger and the gatekeeper, even the gate itself. They all stand to show us a picture of who we are and who he is and where actual life is found. So I want to invite you guys this morning to once again come and go through the gates of Jesus. Don't go through me. Don't go through me. Some of y'all are sitting across from my, from my table and you're like, I will just be okay if I could just talk to you about this. I'm like, no, you just gotta talk to Jesus about this. I'm the under shepherd. I'm just gonna point you to him. Your okayness, your life and life abundance doesn't go through me. It doesn't go through your spouse. It doesn't go through your boss. It doesn't go through the president. It goes through Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, the only one who laid down his life for you. Guys, he's the only one. And if there are others who have laid down their life for you, they haven't taken it up again and brought you with them. So I'm telling you guys, turn to him and stop turning to these places that just threaten to steal and destroy. As we do that, guys, I want you guys just to hear the charge also to be it for one another. Listen, you can't be the good shepherd. Only he can. So as we just, every week it feels like I find a way to put a plug in here for gospel community, but it's on purpose, okay? People who know the voice of the shepherd can detect when they're hearing things that are not his voice. So if you're not around people who also know your shepherd, then when you're the one out of the 99 that starts to go astray, someone can snatch you and point you back to him. That's the role that we play for one another. That's even my role up here, is I'm just up here calibrating you to the voice of your shepherd. I don't even have much to say except to read what it is that he has to say. He's who you need. He's who you need. So, when you're not here, here at GC, when you don't pick up, that failure's paid for. No guilt, shame, condemnation. But your shepherd has tuned your ears to know his voice. And there's somebody who's deaf to him right now. And you could be the one to say to that person, if you just show up, let's go see Jesus together. And I want to do that now. As we pray. Father God, this is the thing is, you know, we talk about it, but but we can't do it. Ultimately, we're not the good shepherd, and so we just want to behold you this morning as our good shepherd, Lord. All we want to do in being your sheep is know your voice, follow you, and look to the sheep around us, and to say, follow me while I follow him to sense real and present danger and to lead people to the one who can be their real rescue, who has been their real rescue. I don't want these, Lord, to just be ideas about you. I don't want these to be just describers of a hypothetical shepherd, Lord. I I wanna see our church really come under the care of the good shepherd, to really have eyes that are trained to know when a thief or a robber or a hired hand has entered the picture and started to lead us astray. Father, all the more I pray that the message of the gospel would be a familiar song in the hearts of your saints. That we would sing that song everywhere we go to embolden the other sheep in the flock and to call those who are not of this fold, who have yet to come, to come on in and to find their pasture and to find their salvation. We ask those things in Jesus' name because it's a powerful and able name. Amen on Mercy's Door, I want you to spend some time just talking to him about what that means for you. And in just a few minutes, your under shepherds will issue communion, and we'll take that together in remembrance of the only one who can lay down his life for the sheep and take it up again. Let's pray.